heaven? No. It's Iowa. Eric, you are such a fuck-ass. Please. Did you just call me a fuck-ass? Eric, that's enough. You can go suck a fuck. Oh, oh, please tell me, Eric. How exactly does one suck a fuck? You want me to tell you? Please, tell me. We will not have this at the dinner table, but we will have a discussion of Donnie Darko on the Pod of Dreams. friend real or imaginary you're a cop tony imaginary i'm gonna tell you a little story today about a young man whose life was completely destroyed by these instruments of fear i haven't seen stuff donnie is experiencing what is commonly called a daylight hallucination <laughs> i have to obey him he saved my life have you ever seen a portal <laughs> Has he ever told you about his friend Frank, the giant bunny rabbit? The what? Every living thing follows along set path. And if you could see your path or channel, then you could see into the future, right? I'm not going to be able to continue this conversation. Don't worry. You got away with it. What is going to happen? I only have a few days left before they catch me. We're just going to stop. You should already know that. Got goosebumps. That was great, actually. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pod of Dreams. My name is Ben Lewis, but I have the distinct honor of welcoming another Ben, Ben Head, to the podcast. You want to say hi, Ben? Hello, listeners. So, you're a special guest. You've got your own podcast. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Mr. Head, and uh, about your podcast, and then go ahead and explain why you picked this movie. Donnie Darko, over all the other possible movies you could have chosen. Well, thank you, Other Ben. I'm an enthusiast of all kinds, and uh, with the Real Wolf Record Club podcast, I put on my music enthusiast hat, and it's a podcast where we kind of dive into some of the greatest albums of all time. We bring on some guests, we talk to them um, about what they're doing in their world, whether it's um, journalism music, comedy, so we get a good breadth of guests there, and then we kind of break down an album, and we do it in a way that the guests will participate with, we have a kind of a funny, fun rating system that's vinyl related, and we have some kind of funny segments, fun segments, where we do stuff with the album and uh, and, and really um, have some fun with it, but enough about music. We're here to talk about movies, which is another thing that I'm enthused about. And I was especially enthused about picking Donnie Darko as the film. And the reason why I picked this film is because at some point in my youth, 
if you would have had me pull off my headphones listening to Incubus album of some kind and asked me, what is your favorite movie, Ben? I would have said, without hesitation, Donnie Darko. But it's been a long time since I watched it. So I wanted to see if that was just an opinion of my youth that uh, maybe has lost a little bit of its luster or if it's still something that holds true and is still one of my favorite movies today. So it was kind of a, an experiment in a way. And what's the verdict? Where do you land? Well, I don't think I'm supposed to spoil it at the beginning, am I? Am well, what do you think? Rewatch Spoiler yeah, like, alert? Well, here, I'll jump in with something else. I'm going to say I, I kept thinking the whole time I was watching it. It's been quite a while since I'd seen it as well. Somebody who's got a music enthusiast podcast this is such a great soundtrack, and I did not know if that at all had played a part, because whatever well, else we're going to say about the movie, ha- I has, love the soundtrack. It has a Dying few Dark. great songs in it. Now, the great soundtrack, I think, is it, there's, there's like three or four great music drops, needle drops in the movie. I don't know I don't know if I would say it has a great soundtrack, but keep going. I think keep every going. song in it is great, Eric. We can start out here. I, I There's not a bad song in it, and there are several great songs. Well, uh, I did like that, too. I remembered music being kind of integral to the po- into integral to the plot and then rewatching it I was like oh yeah oh yeah this is it's perfect it's perfect the music just fits so perfectly with the scenes in the movie itself I loved it all right so Eric what's your history with Donnie Darko uh so it's one of those movies that I, I probably saw so it came out in 2001 right that's the Correct. release date I, I don't I didn't see it in the theater uh, probably saw it sometime like DVD Netflix when you were in the mail in the red red envelopes back and forth. Um, and and I remember the first time I saw it just being utterly confused, just totally lost. Like, what the fuck is this movie about? What is happening? And you get to the end and it's you, you realize, OK, that that's you know, it's about time travel. I, I watch it again. I'm still confused. This is this, so the second time I've seen it. There are things about this movie I still don't understand. Um, so that, I mean, that's my main takeaway is like, I think like there's like three or four needle drops that are great. Drew Barrymore. Great job by her in this movie, by the way. Okay. Um, she has like three scenes. Okay. She's great. She's great. Should have won is an Oscar. Just a, is this just a, you think she's pretty thing? <laughs> that could be it. Um, okay. but a couple great needle drops. Um, it, but yeah, I mean, the, the movie leaves you so confused throughout all of the movie until the very end. And then it kind of ties things together. But it, you know, it's just one of those movies that I, I think is 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 more of a um, you know, it's this independent cinema where it's like mo- movies can do do whatever they want. You know, there's no structure to it. it. They gave this guy, you know, the ability to make whatever movie he wanted. But I think in the end, it just is a little confusing. So that was my takeaway. Again, it's, it's I'm still confused. It's definitely opaque. So I didn't see this movie in the theaters either. This was the movie, the one of those movies. I know, like, it's kind of in the, it was in the Boondock Saints category oh, yeah. for, like, movie bros that thought was super profound. This was the height of profundity if you were in college in 2004, like, oh, this is, it's so deep and so thought-provoking because it seemed vague. But it's also entertaining and, you know, it's not hard to watch, even if you don't know exactly what's going on. It's not boring. But here's a question for you. Well, either one, either Mr. Head or Mr. Lane. Is this movie supposed to be a comedy uh, dude when i was watching it not sorry not to jump in here but the what genre is this is it science fiction 
Is it horror? Like, wh- what is it? And I guess comedy too is one of those things. So I, I, I don't, I can't answer that because I don't know. Is it a superhero movie? Could be. Is he Doctor Strange? I don't know. Maybe. Who knows? So you, you, so you're confused too. Still, you, you still don't know. Well, genre-wise, it's all over the place. I, I don't know that I, I didn't hate it or anything. Uh, I, that wasn't necessarily a problem. But one point where like doing very serious, dark stuff, and it is kind of creepy. Yeah, he's building up to be like a crazy a serial killer, like the, through part of the movie. Is that what we're watching? This guy, like this psychotic teenage kid, become a serial killer. But then at one point, we see them shooting guns at, at, at cans in the woods, and they're talking about Smurfs. And like whether Smurfette, you know, has sex with other Smurfs. Like, is this just a weird comedy thing? What is happening in this scene? And then it's uh, kind of cheering for him a little bit when he's rooting against the obnoxious Christian woman who has the stupid life is just everything's either love or fear and that's it. Because then there's a moment where I'm like, rah, rah. And then sometimes we're like, yeah, what's this? This kid is messed up. And we don't get introduced to him gradually. He's like messed up from the beginning. So I don't I don't feel like I ever got good footing either. I said, it's not necessarily a problem, but I'm with you. And then I'm just kind of like, where am I standing? But Ben Ed, please jump in. What do you, what do you think? What do you, we'll give you some of your uh, diagnosis here. So that's, that's what I remembered about the film. And it's what I enjoyed about the film because it can kind of be left open to interpretation. You can interpret the way you want it to be interpreted. And uh, I, I like to think of this film as more of kind of like a, sci-fi kind of like superhero film and the thing that i most like about it is that you have donnie as the main character is is really kind of an anti-hero like you don't really like him he's kind of a an asshole he's just doing stuff that makes you uncomfortable so i watched this with my wife and she was like he's not gonna like kill people or something is he but that's like the feeling that you get from donnie and like well yeah he kind of did kind of did but uh, not kind of. He did. He shot somebody in the yeah. face. The guy from he, Independence he, Day. He, he shot him right in the head. But he's so he's kind of an asshole, right? But he's not because then you get this big payoff in the end where you realize that everything in the movie mattered and it was intentional. He had to do that to end up where he was at the end. But did he know that? Did he I know? Mean, he knows he has to sacrifice himself. To save Spoiler. the to save the world to save the universe is that yes yeah, so I, I there, you can go all uh, down all kinds of like Donnie Darko rabbit holes and I, I think it's partially because the director really stepped in and like tried to fill in some some plot oh, devices yeah, so director's cut which I don't think I've seen yeah I was gonna mention that so I saw when I was looking up so the 2017 there was like a director's cut where I guess he he clarifies a lot of this stuff because. There's a scene apparently where he's with his psychiatrist, and the psychiatrist says, "Stop taking those meds because they're they're placebos." So like indicating that he wasn't crazy at all. It was all time warp portal shit. Like because because yeah. I think you watch the original movie, you you kind of is like, is he nuts? Is he just losing? Because he's you know he says he's crazy. He goes to therapists. Like is well, he really just losing his he's mind? Passed out on the middle of the road. I love that. Like I love court. the way this movie opened. By the way, well, I, I really like that. that. Like, we don't know anything. Slow about pan into crazy. him on the street and the music. Yeah, music That's one of the Neil drop moments. Um, for sure. But I'm just—he's already been going crazy. He's already been sleepwalking for however many days before the movie starts. This is a recurring thing that has happened to him several times. I don't know. That's weird. Um, so that's why I, I like kind of the superhero angle, right? So you see the little tubes coming out of everybody's chest. So 
to me, I, I see that as like him being able to see the future. He's able to see destiny. And then you get into this whole like religion aspect and like, is this a religious movie? So I just, I love how there's so many interpretations, but I like to think of it as he knows what's going to happen. So he can see, he can, he can, he can see these little tunnels, whatever those little weird things coming out of people's chest are. So he knows what he has to do to make things right in the end. So this whole, I, I love the experience as a, as a watcher of the film, that the things that happen in the movie are important and necessary and they're required for the plot to exist. I don't know. It's just a, it's just this crazy kind of experience cool. where you're you're watching the movie and like the things that hap that happen need to happen in order for the movie to to exist and to to be make any sense. Why don't you break yeah. down a little bit like what happens in the movie? Because the people listening to this like didn't watch it, like because th there is there's some like main events that happen in the movie that. I think tie it together, try to explain it. I don't know. Maybe, maybe if you, Ben Lewis, if you want to break it down for us. Well, okay. So there's this kid who's sleepwalking uh, named Donnie Darko. We meet him and his rich family and see his rich school. And one night he sleepwalks away from his bed and a big like turbine from a, you know, commercial airplane crashes into his bedroom. But because he slept he wasn't in there when it happened. It would have killed him, but it didn't. And from here we get, he starts having these visions of this weird rabbit costume. One of the creepiest rabbit costumes I've ever seen. Like not bloody, it's just really off-putting. And the guy tells him the world's going to end in 28 days and starts telling him to do stuff. So he tells him to flood the school, for example. Um, and then another time he's told to burn down the house of this obnoxious motivational speaker played by Patrick Swayze, who turns out was a hardcore pedophile. Um, and he does these things, and yeah, he's, he thinks he might be going crazy. It's interesting that you are confident that he can see everything that's going to happen. I'm not sure how he puts it all together until the very end of the movie, when he starts to realize what needs to happen. He seems really confused to me, and he's not sure if he's going crazy, because he doesn't seem to sort of remember where, where he was the night before. Um, but you know, he has all these experiences over the course of this 28 days, gets in a lot of trouble. He seems like, yeah, maybe he's demented, maybe he's deranged. And then in one crazy Halloween night, his girlfriend dies, he shoots a guy in the head, and he seems to realize after all of this that he needed to be hit by that plane in the first place, that he shouldn't have slept walk, he needed to die for whatever metaphysical reasons. So is so that just, when he goes back in time then? Yeah. Is that that's the so when he's carrying her dead body, all of a sudden he he then goes back to that day when the turbine fell. Because that was the part where I was like, yeah, wait, wait a second, how was he? So now we're time traveling. That that was. Yeah, where I, I don't was know going. how he time traveled. They didn't bother to explain like, did he hop in a wormhole or was he just able to do that? Did time itself unravel, go backwards? I don't know. But yeah, he clearly went back in time, and then he made the conscious choice to lie down, and he said, oh okay, I need to die. But he was given the chance to have these other experiences. You know, he gets to get laid for the first time. And the superhero angle that, that Ben Head's talking about, I mean, he to be able to put that axe in the head of that that bronze weird uh, mascot outside. The mongrel. You see the, the mongrel. There it is. It looks a bit like a bulldog thing. Taking his shit, too. He's, like, squatting over. It's, <laughs> it's, a, it's like That's where it's, like, confusing. It doesn't look real. Like, it's yeah. so cartoonishly disgusting and off-putting. Maybe people thought that was cool in the 80s. I don't know, but it looked absurd. But he puts the axe to the top of that thing's head. That takes a lot of strength to do. 
Um, and I don't know, but th that's, I mean, that's the macro outline of the plot for you. But along the way, we have lots of weird little asides. There's a discussion of the philosophy of time travel. Uh, you know, this is maybe one of the most telling parts of the movie for me. He's going with his girlfriend to a one of the craziest double features I've ever seen. The Evil Dead and The Last Temptation of Christ. Um, and the camera pans to the bottom of that double feature, which is The Last Temptation of Christ. And that, that seems like a potential clue to decode the meaning of the film. Uh, and just if anybody cares, people probably don't. But The Last Temptation of Christ, that's a Scorsese movie. Will Defoe is uh, Jesus Christ. He's on the cross. He's about to die, and this little girl comes and says, "No, you don't need to die. You're, you don't have to die on the cross." Interesting. You took more go, of of Last Temptation than Evil Dead, as maybe Evil Dead was not what he's trying to say about what this I movie is. I tried to think about Evil Dead. I couldn't figure out what the metaphor was. Because that's actually the movie they're watching when she falls asleep. So when the right, when the uh, I tried. If you have an angle up. with Evil Dead, let me know. I was no, thinking, I don't. I, like, yeah, I have no idea. It, I was like, yeah. I, the, the Evil Dead metaphor doesn't make. He gets sense. possessed cool. by a house or like a demon, like. That has nothing to do with this movie. Oh, so but that maybe that's the flip side. So see now now I'm learning something. Yeah, maybe those are the two extremes. He's either possessed by a demon, or he's you know he needs to die in the way that Christ needs to die according to the last edition of Christ, where hey. Jesus gets to live a full life and then realize, oh man, the world's ending. I have to go back and die on the cross. It was required. It's the fear them. and love continuum, guys. Yeah. But I hate she the was fear, right fear and love continuum. She was but right I hate all the fear along. and love continuum. It. it annoys me to no end the fear and love continuum it is so reductive and stupid so if that's ultimately what the movie's saying but had that i guess ugh, off-putting to me no i think i think it's it's the it's kind of this deterministic versus like um you know greater power and, and, and destiny and it's it's the conflict between the two and that that's that's the part and so i my takeaway from this movie is that i i don't as much care about the how and i think that's where the the director kind of gets bogged down he gets bogged down in like explaining the how and i've i've haven't also haven't watched the director's cut but i've read some things about it and generally people say it's much worse <laughs> they don't like it as much as as the theatrical cut and it's because of some of that like the director tries to kind of insert more of the how where to me i really like the why like why did what happened in the end happen? And it's because he made a choice, but he made that choice within the confines of destiny. And so then it, it gets to that kind of like it, biblical, like kind of Christ. Is he a Christ figure? Like it, it's, I don't know. It's just, it's something that as you watch this movie more and more. So I, I watched it a couple times uh, before the, the podcast here. And I was like, Oh yeah. Oh, the, well, that's another way to look at it. So it's it's one of the fun that's fun to kind of take a look at and, and see if like you have a different interpretation of it than another time you watch it. It's interesting you met, mentioned the director. So Richard Kelly is the writer director of this movie. So uh, this is his first like first ma movie that he ever made, and and it, it actually you know like our generation people in their late thirties now, um, like this movie is such a cultural culturally significant movie like you talked about. Um, it's also like considered one of the best independent movies ever made. So like I, I was looking up a bunch of lists, like the, it looks like empire. I think it was empire magazine, 50 greatest independent movies, mean streets, number one, reservoir dogs, number two, and Donnie Darko, number three, like this movie was a huge thing, a huge cultural thing. And this guy was like considered like the next Christopher Nolan. He made two other movies after this yeah. one, I, one I've seen, I've seen the one with the button thing. 
The box. Not, the box. I have not seen the Rock movie, but like he Something has not. Tales. Made, I haven't. Have you seen it? You've seen it. He hasn't made a movie since 2009. Like this guy is. He's disappeared. I could. Yeah, I couldn't figure this out. I, I was. I was on my list of things to bring up because, whatever. I mean, whether it's the third best independent movie of all time is irrelevant. It's a really good debut feature, even if you think it has flaws. You'd see this and think, oh man, this guy could do some really interesting things. And boy, does it seem like he hasn't. And I don't have an explanation for why he's his output is so I, low. I read an article that was kind of presuming that he's sort of stepped away from making movies, but it also said he's he's had a bunch of things fall apart over the years. Like he started making some movie um, that uh, what, what's the guy from Sopranos and before, right before he died was going to make a movie. James and then Gandolfini. Gandolfini died, so he's had like a bunch of projects that just fell apart. But like, I mean, we're talking we're over 15 years now since he's made a movie. Yeah, like. I, I couldn't figure it's crazy. it out. crazy. Yeah, that box movie was like, yeah, 2009 or something like that. Or the it was all right. Box. It was okay. There's, Yeah, that's fine. But yeah, it's like weird that the, the same like, – I don't know. Yeah. I don't. Yeah, so the the dude makes this this film straight out of film school, USC film school, for $4.5 million. Makes this whole movie. It does not look like a $4.5 million no, movie. It, no, it, it doesn't. It, it reminds me of like Primer, like another just looks great, better like, than Primer though. Looks better than Primer, yeah. that's for sure. But oh, it like, looks great. a great movie on just a total like shoestring budget. But uh, this is actually, and I, I made some notes. Yeah, Brought really some preparing notes. here. Whoa. Brought some notes. But I had a question here: Is this guy just like an accidental genius, or is he just got a talent that's been buried? I, like, did he just have like this spontaneous, like everything came together, and because he was so inexperienced, he left some of these like holes open to interpretation that people just like latched onto and are like QAnon style like I gotta put meaning to like everything or is he just getting, getting buried the other thing too that like, you have to consider the cast he put together with this movie too like there's got like Noah Wiley and I mentioned Drew Barrymore um it has an incredible the Gyllenhaals are both in this movie and they you know have come on like he discovered Jake Gyllenhaal basically like yeah, I mean, you can't give him enough credit for what he did with his Swayze. Swayze's in Swayze in it. Mary McDonald's great. Little I mean, kids. The, all the cast is great, really. I, I Seth Rogen. Seth Rogen doing cocaine and <laughs> literally in the hallways of his super rich prep school. Yeah. Um. I, so, just to your question, Mister Head, I, I was thinking the same thing. My, if I had to guess, it, it feels like he just kind of stumbled into this, like. It's a good idea. It's an interesting idea. It's kind of all over the place, and maybe that's not, like, intentional. Maybe he kind of lucked into getting something that's kind of weird and off balance in a way that, yeah, gives gives the door open to a lot of different people, but it wasn't a, a conscious choice. I'm not actually going to blend all these styles together into one cohesive film and make it work. It's more like I'm kind of doing stuff and seeing what sticks, and a bunch of it happened to stick. Because I just think if he's this really talented guy – He's not going to get buried unless he's really terrible, and maybe he's just a really terrible human being, and that would well, be fair and correct. But I think part of it too, though, is like that era of movies just does—they no, don't make those kind of independent movies where they just give somebody, you know, money to make a small budget film right out of film school. Like he would—he'd have to go to Marvel or he'd have to go to DC or make a Star well, Wars movie. He'd probably just like, I'm not doing that. I'm not. Well, I'm not I mean, I'm talking about picture. 2015 on. I mean, even in 2005. Iron Man's 2008. I mean, it, I, I know I deliberately picked it before a single Marvel movie started. I mean, that, that's four years that have gone by. 
and he did Southland Tales, uh, you know, in whatever it was like 2006. And yeah, but that was a ha- giant bomb, though. That's the th- other other piece of that. That was like a huge disaster because following Donnie Darko, they gave him all this money. He's got The Rock in this movie. It's a big budget, his, and it was a huge bomb. Justin Timberlake. Okay. Timberlake's in that movie? Wow. Timberlake. Uh, see, well, that, that's going for you. Yeah, JT. That, that just further supports that he's just kind of, you know, he lucked into Donnie Darko then. If he gets, get, get, took his big break and failed to hit it. And then the box, I don't remember the box making any money. It didn't interest me at the time at all. Eric, to your point, I had read that he was kind of in that camp of like, I got to do it my way or I'm yeah. not going to do it at all. I'm not buying into any franchises. Like, don't give me a Marvel Marvel movie. Like, I want to do my own thing. And I have to imagine that that puts some people off. I mean, Christopher Nolan is a good comparison because, you know, Memento comes around the same time and he's somehow able to get money to make big budget movies. They make a lot of money. They're in original stories. He does, he does tie in with Batman, but he finds some way to make them his movies. Like it's just like interesting branching points where Nolan does this and he, the uh, Kelly kind of zigs and he zags and it, it, you know, obviously the, the success is what it is, but I, yeah, I just watching this movie, you see like, Oh, this is his first movie. He's like in his early twenties, this guy is going to be, like one of those great directors, and he just wasn't at all, and it's kind of wild. Um, I have a question for you guys, and maybe this is a tangent. There's a scene in this movie where uh, after Donnie gets uh, busted for yelling at the fear love lady teacher, he's in the principal's office, and the principal says to him uh, that his test scores are intimidating, and he says, your Iowa test scores are intimidating. Did this movie take place in Iowa? No, uh, it's the Iowa test of basic skills, ITBS. I, I don't know if you got that in Minnesota, but there's this big test. I took the Iowa test of basic skills when I was in, you know, like elementary school and high school. I had assumed that that was just an Iowa specific test, but that test was spread all throughout um, the U.S. I don't know. Some states uh, may have taken it up and some didn't. Because I saw it was in mid, like Middlesex, Virginia, but then he said your Iowa test scores. I'm like, wait, what, why is he taking Iowa Yeah, because they're, they're watching the Washington's Commodores the, before they were the Commodores. They were that watching was another question. Yeah, yeah. And it's clear that there's, there aren't too many neighborhoods like that in Iowa. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just going to show that he's really, really smart, and he's basically an atheist. Um, but then Agnostic. Uh, okay. Uh, he's an agnostic atheist. We can talk about these labels. He does not accept the conclusion that uh, God exists as put forth by various religious entities, which makes him an atheist compared to those claims. But he doesn't claim to know, um, hence Gnosticism, atheism. But anyway, he's wrestling with that, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's definitely a clear religious undercurrent. He's talking to Noah Wiley about what if he could do something with God's plan. It's all pretty vague and weird. Well, there's a bunch of stuff about, like, Republican Party, too, like his, which I don't know, they're taking shots at conservatives, like his dad's watching the the debates, and, and Maggie Gyllenhaal says she's going to vote for Dukakis, and he gets all yeah. pissed off. So there's, like, some weird political jabs in the movie, too, which I didn't track, like, why I just that thought is. that was, like, a kid rebelling, I'm just going to piss off my parents by voting against the people they like. Look well, there's, me, a, the- there's a theme of, like, critical... Dogma, dogmatism so that it's it's kind of saying like you can't live in the extremes like there's more complexity to life than fear and love 
Like you can't just like blindly say I'm going to follow this political party because of this one issue, which is kind of like your sparkle motion, whatever that lady. <laughs> she she loves, you know, like being in that simplistic mindset of it's either this or that. And that's what I liked about the film too. But like Drew Barrymore and Noah Wiley are these like really good looking smart teachers. And they're obviously like on the other side of the aisle in terms of political spectrum. But like, yeah, I don't know. It it was just interesting that they, you know, there's that whole like burning book stuff in the, the PTA meeting. It's like, well, why is this, what does this have to do with time travel? Like I would, just kind of confused by all that. Well, stuff. it has to do more. Ben had already mentioned this, so but I'll, I'll bring it back. I mean, we're talking about determinism. Uh, you know, this is the idea. You know, if God picked the reality that we live in, could anything happen that isn't part of God's plan? Whatever horrible thing you want to think of, it all have to be part of God's plan. Everything would be determined. He couldn't be surprised by anything that happened. Um, but then time travel would be the direct contradiction to that. That would be a way of undermining God. There's this aspect to it. Um, but then that's where Jake Gyllenhaal was like, hey, could you, what if you mess with determinism in the confines of God's plan? I don't know. Because um, that discussion you had with Noah Wyler, that, that that's the piece of the movie that most throws me for a loop. I really have trouble figuring out exactly what's going on in, their, in that scene, other than he doesn't want to talk about God to a student and get fired. But it has to do with this determinism. Well, the teachers were all weird. Like the Drew Barrymore scene when the, the new girl walks in. And yeah, that she's was like, messed up. He's like, pick the boy you think is the cutest. Like, what what kind of fucking teacher would do that? Like, and then that she tells another girl psychotic. to get up. That is psychotic. Yeah, like, that's that's terrible. And, and, you know, th- there's a whole bunch of stuff. Like, even the bullies, like, they're so racist. And it's fr- like, there's just, uh, I, I didn't understand why he made it in the 80s and turned it into this, like, 80s high school movie. That also, to me, kind of confused me a little bit, too. It was like, I didn't remember the first time I saw that, that this took place, like, in the past, that... For no reason. There's absolutely no reason why it took place in the 80s. Well, I mean, he wanted it to take place in 1988. Because that's when he grew up. And he grew oh, up in yeah. Virginia. So he was he was playing some familiar chords here to bring it back to some music. Oh, yeah. So what do you think? Is that a valid thing to do is to place a movie in an earlier time and play the music you listened to at the time? Is that acceptable, Eric? Or Well, Eric, but I think he, I no, think what he wanted to do. for no reason. I well, he, he wanted to put it he on a hyper-specific timeline. And he thought he could pick the music that would resonate and the time and place, and he could really evoke that in a way better than he could teenagers in 2001. Is that like a Back to the Future thing, too? Is he trying to, like, pigtail off that? I don't know. Uh, maybe. I mean, Back to the Future came out 16 years before this, approximately. So I, I don't know that he's trying to, to copy Back to the Future. They've mentioned it in the movie once. No, with the, uh, with the time. Yeah. I, I guess. I, I, think he, I just think if you're going to make a movie about something, I mean, would you be able to writing? Wouldn't you better be able to write about going to high school in the late 90s and early 2000s? Yeah, but you're just playing on nostalgia. It's, it's like uh, the Force Awakens guy. He, he just makes movies in the past just to pull on nostalgia. Well, uh, he, okay, you're talking about J.J. Abrams. J.J. Abrams, We are right. down a very weird Donnie Darko rabbit hole wormhole. It just there's uh, no reason JJ for it to be Abrams an 80s. is a whole other beast. This guy was trying to recreate a, a lived experience that he knew. The people that loved the most weren't people that were in high school in the 80s. I mean, all the people that I I talked to about this movie had it's no like idea. Stranger Things, I, like Stranger Things is in the there's no reason that movie takes place in the 80s except to play on nostalgia for people. Like, but but they, there's no storytelling the reason for it. 
I, I've already explained the storytelling reason to you, and you don't seem to accept find that no, acceptable. That, I don't. That's not acceptable. Now, now, boys. I, I he very much decided. Hey, this is. I know what this was like. I think I can make this movie if I set it in the '80s. This will work for my vision. I think there's a very specific reason. Instead of trying to set it in 2001 or 2000, and it's interesting. And I'm. I mean, I don't think nostalgia was the big play in 2001. It wasn't like, hey, look at all these other movies playing up the '80s, like Back to the Future from 15 years ago. We got to really. I, I don't think the nostalgia thing was happening. I think he just thought that would be the best way to make the movie work. And it certainly doesn't get in the way of the movie. I, would it be better if it were set in 2000? No, I just thought at some point there was with time travel there was going to be some reason why it was in the 80s that we would jump ahead or you know cut back. I don't know. I just I was just confused by it. I think okay. it's set in the 80s for the music. And Eric, you mentioned four needle drops, and I gotta imagine that it's one of these four. Head Over Heels by Tears for Fears. The Killing Moon by Echo and the Bunny Man. The Killing no, Moon t- is a sweet-ass drop when he's walking into high Oof. school. Like, that's incredible. Duran Duran. Notorious. And then we've got Mad World covered Dude, by Mad- Gary Jules and Michael Andrews. What's the, what's, the, what's the mic drop of the mic drops? The needle drops of the needle drops. For Which both. one do you guys like? Oh, I liked all those. It's, um, kill- it's Echo and the Bunny Man for me. The Killing Moon. That that is incredible. That 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 sequence. But isn't the Gary Jules cover of Mad World? Isn't that a song from like the nineties? Yeah, that it, might not be. In didn't a, the in cover come out? See, that was the other thing. Is like that's a that's a newer version of that song. Uh-oh. So I was like, wait, so it you're using like a new version? Yeah, d- that wouldn't have existed in 1988. Eric so found like, a net and he's picking it. Uh-oh. Well, it's all part Uh-oh. of the. Why make it in? If you want to play these songs, Uh-oh. why make it back in the day when it, these songs that song didn't exist? I don't know. You've already said it wouldn't matter if he had made it more recently. So it's bizarre that you're fixated on this choice that the person who made the movie wanted. Mad World is a 1982 song by Tears for Fears. Yeah, but the the version in the movie is a cover. The Gary Jules version. When did that, that one you hear is very very different, Ben Head. I've heard that that one, and it's very very different than the than the cover. They t- I think they took some a little bit of artistic liberty. Two thousand one. They it released in two thousand one. Yeah, they made it for the movie. Yeah. So I the the best yeah out of the best. I mean the the Killing Moon is great. I mean I also love Love Will Tear Us Apart at the party. Um, man, they're all great. I just gotta say the the notorious. Like that sequence with the little girls dancing. Why was that like 15 minutes long? I, that was just like I I don't know. That made me a little uncomfortable. Like what what it's you can't cut this short. It didn't have to be so long though. It's too much. I don't remember how long it was. I'm sure it wasn't 15 minutes. I'm sure it just felt like 15 minutes to you. But it's supposed to be uncomfortable. I mean, it's like sexualizing these girls, and this Christian woman has no problem doing that. This woman who just talks about love and fear and supports a pedophile. Um, and one of the great touches, by the way, uh, I mean, that in terms of having seen this before, I knew that Patrick Swayze was a pedophile and you see one of his obnoxious videos, love, fear. And there's a kid that used to wet the bed or whatever. Um, and he's not going to be afraid anymore. This is why I just can't tell if the movie's a comedy because that those sequences are so absurd. They're like laugh out loud ludicrous. There's a scene where like a boom mic is in the shot too. Yeah, when he's, yes, correct. Like, yeah, they, yeah. And that's he, yeah. But he, um, and that's also great, but he's like hugging that kid yeah. and he smacks his ass and it's yeah. super uncomfortable. And Ooh, I, didn't, I, I didn't see that. Yep. Yeah. I saw, I caught really, that. It's like, Oh God. Yeah. There are signs, you know? Oh God. I can't believe he's single. Whoa. Um, 
so I mean, I, I like the notorious because it is so uncomfortable and the Christian woman's obsession with it is like just this weird, she just doesn't seem to get like, oh, this is very gross. Um, and she doesn't have a problem with it. And I know it's just, outside I, your timeline, Eric, but I, I, I'm, I'm really into the Mad World cover by Gary Jules. Oh, it's I think just like it, it's, it's a great way to close so the movie. Perfect. It's so perfect. It like matches up exactly what's happening on screen. It's like brings the whole movie together. Brilliant. Yeah, there's I no bad music the choice last, in this movie. I mentioned this in the last podcast because Ben started singing it. Um, so for all all you who listen to Ben singing, I'm sorry. Um, you had to listen to that. But uh, Gears of War was the game that that song was in the trailer for, and it was that's an, another incredible like rendition of or use of that song. That's a good song. Filling that gap. No, fair enough. But I mean, I think all the performances are just right, really. I mean, Jake Gyllenhaal is off-putting, but he's supposed to be. He's just kind of all over the shop, creeping people out. Um, I mean, smarmy and I don't know. Yeah. This movie, it was better than I thought it was going to be. I, th- I thought this was one that wasn't going to live up to my memory hype, I'll have to say, that head. I, I was thinking, well, oh. Jake, Jake Gyllenhaal's an interesting discussion to have because, like, he's kind of having a moment. Interestingly enough, he just hosted SNL, like, Saturday before we recorded this. When this comes out, it'll have been a few weeks ago. But, um... Like, his career is kind of funny. He's kind of an interesting guy. I find him incredibly annoying. Like, I do not care for him as an actor at all. And he works in this movie because he's supposed to be kind of uh, a troubled person. Uh, but I was thinking about, like, like Jared Leto, who's also kind of that same generation. Like, who's more annoying, Jared Leto or Jake Gyllenhaal? Jared Leto. Oof, not even close. Jared Leto. Yeah, he, Jared Leto's got him beat, but they're, they're, they're from the same ilk, I think. I don't know. I don't know. I, I guess I'm willing to give Jake Gyllenhaal more credit. I mean, he he his performances are generally more nuanced and interesting. I mean, Nightcrawler's legitimately a great performance. Um, not that I've seen everything, but yeah, I mean, he'd be tough. Leto won an Oscar. I understand he won an Oscar. Okay, that's fine. He won an Oscar. Uh, he did a good job in that role, I guess. Although, I mean, he's not a, a trans woman, but um, that's fine. I don't know what else. I mean, I don't know what else I I've seen Jared Leto in that I liked. I mean. Are you a fan of his Joker performance? No, I don't know. it was awful. One of the worst. Like, but I, I agree. I wouldn't want to like have to actively root. It'd be tough for you to sell me as Jake Gyllenhaal, somebody who's overtly likable. I haven't seen Ambulance, but I, I feel like he's playing. Our, our entire like adult lives, they've been just trying to make him a thing, and it just has never seemed to work out. And I, I, I think it's maybe just because of him. I don't know. Is he kind know. of a bit character? Like, is he the? You like to root against him, and he's kind of awkward and a little bit off-putting, but that's like what he brings to the table. Because I'm thinking about it, and like Nightcrawler, he plays the same kind of creepy. Like, I don't know if I really like this guy, but he's kind of like the hero, I guess. But well, you're not definitely really. not supposed to like him in Nightcrawler, but he's captivating, but he's awful. Oh. Maybe that's where he succeeds. Maybe he's just an awful is, guy, yeah, and that's he, that. he plays an awful character, and that's what we like. Well, like Brokeback Mountain is like that's a great performance. Like he's okay. really he's really good in that movie. That's um, true. I, for, I forgot he's in there. You kind of forget that it's him because he does play somebody who's actually so he can likeable. he can do like really good dramatic stuff. It's just when I think when he tries to do like leading man shit is where it's just like God, you're just not doing it, guy. Like it's not working for you. What do you mean by? I mean, isn't Brokeback Mountain a leading man shit? Isn't that what you just said? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yes, th- th- but that's you know kind of a. a Duo performance with Heath Ledger there. You just mean not an action performance? Yeah, I guess. I mean, yeah, I mean like big budget 
like superstar roles that he's tried. Just that stuff just doesn't work. Even in Marvel, he played a villain. Oh, spoiler alert! He played a villain. Yeah. Maybe it's a nice guy. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I don't, he's not an action star um, so much. Yeah, he's but he's not. I mean, he's not ever been that that I can recall. I guess I didn't see Prince of Persia. Maybe that was awful. Just just terrible. One of the shittiest movies ever made. What if he's got to be a guy who's kind of unlikable? I mean, I, I, I probably would enjoy his performance in Ambulance if I were going to watch that movie. I'm sure he's just a full-on. But he's like a little kid in Donnie Darko, right? Isn't he like he's like in his teens, right? I have no idea how old so he is. He's he is for a, like a young, like first time. He's really good in Donnie Darko. Like there's a scene with the therapist where he starts crying. Like that's some pretty impressive acting, I thought. Yeah, no, I I think it's good. I, the therapy scenes were more scenes in this movie that really threw me for a loop. Like, I guess he's troubled, so he has to see a psychologist, but like. He starts almost jerking it in the therapist's office. Well, she put him in hip- hypnosis, so he's like hypnotized, and he starts. I understand, but he starts, like, and then she. But you didn't have to put that scene in. Yeah, no, you're right. That's like it's a choice. I'm just, it was, and and then he's just awkward, and that's it. I'm like, is that funny? Is it funny that he almost started rubbing one out? Uh, what was that? I, I mean, that's what those scenes. It just throws me, it throws me for an absolute loop. Um, I just have no idea where this guy is at or what's going on. I think it help, I think it helps to show like his progression. So like his his instincts are are to not be what he is at the end. Like his instincts are are to think selfishly and to do the things that give him pleasure. So he he burned down a house. I mean that's why he was in therapies because he he apparently burned something down. So he's just like yeah I'm 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 thinking about having sex with chicks in in high school and whatever. But then he, that's that's what I love is his his development as a character is at the end he's like, you know what all of these other people fail because I make this choice to not like be in this room. Why don't I just make the choice to be in the room? Everybody else succeeds. He never chose to leave. So the the Jesus, he, he becomes Jesus. He Jesus himself. It's a, it's, well, this is the there you go. Now, you, now you're at the religious angle. Now you're at the religious. You can, this you can is talk about the religious last angle. temptation of Christ interpretation of this, but he didn't choose to leave the room in the first place that's where this gets very bizarre to me he didn't like oh i know there's the thing that's going to hit me and i'm going to just not not do it well that was um, where so the when the movie opens up what is happening is he is he just coming out of a trance like sleepwalking yeah, he walk. He is that the first time that he had done that no i don't well, think that's, so that's the interpretation there's there's a groundhog day theory to this like right is it, there's is a time it, loop and he just keeps going until he gets it right and all of these people in the movie are influencing him towards the right outcome so that they all survive. And then at oh. the end, they kind of all have this lingering sense of what has happened. But because they've rebooted and they've been reborn, then they begin anew. Because you mentioned but, like all of this stuff had to happen. So like he had to flood the school in order for to get to the next step. To you know, get to the point where she yeah. gets killed. Yeah, he had to flood the school to meet her, right? He even says that in the conversation. Hey, I'm glad the school is flooded because we wouldn't have this conversation. But there's other ways to like just say hi. I mean, they were in class together. Like, yeah, whatever. Okay. I, I know, but it let him be the hero because he got to walk by the two bullies being Seth Rogen saying, "I like your boobs," <laughs> and just being incredible sociopaths. Um, though that's interesting, a, a time loop theory. I, but is it? A, so 
he doesn't kill himself. And then I guess his mom and little sister end up dead. Um, his girlfriend ends up dead. But on but the, the flip the, side, Patrick the, Swayze gets away with child porn. The engine from the plane was her, the mom and sister's plane, right? Well, that's a whole paradox thing, which is where this gets really wonky. And the time portal, it opens up an alternate dimension or something, an alternate timeline. Because Yeah, the explanation spot- is that there's a parallel, it's basically a parallel universe. There's a tangent universe and a and a regular universe and then the tangent universe is temporary it lasts for 28 days which is the amount of time that it took them to film this film on 4.5 million dollars of budget um and so it gets really deep into the rabbit hole and that's why i said there's there's this whole like explanation of how and the director richard kelly has kind of stepped in and said like well here's what i was was trying to say and i don't know if that makes it better i think i think it's better to just leave it open to interpretation and just like figure out what it means to you and what that experience means to you. But, but 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 the part of the experience that I enjoyed the most is feeling like you're invested at the end, like you've been invested in this in this process. Like everything mattered, like everything had to happen, or else the the, the movie wouldn't have made sense. Well, couldn't he have just if this is a loop? Could, I mean, couldn't he try to do a loop where his girlfriend doesn't die, um, and and you know, where his mom and sister don't get on the plane and go to star search. Um, and he doesn't shoot the guy. I mean, couldn't he try to create that reality, but he still burns down the house of the pedophile. I mean, I, isn't that an option? He's in a time loop. There's a time loop theory. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I am just thinking, I mean, he could have just said, even if there wasn't, even if this is the first iteration of the alternate universe and he just decides, you know what? I'm going to try to do these 28 days differently. Well, I, And I like know. what happened to her body? Right, because he's carrying her dead body to his house. Does she just blow up with him when the thing hits the house? Like there would uh, be two versions of that girl out there, right? Well, no, the whole other alternate timeline combusted or whatever imploded. They so just jump back. Okay, all right. He jumps back to the original timeline. Everybody See, this is where I'm just like my head hurts. I I don't know. Um, I mean, it's not primer complicated just to bring that back. I mean, primer is way more complicated and harder to to grasp than this. Um. It's just there's just it's clearly that there's just enough data points to kind of take this however you want, you know. But I mean, and that that is part of what makes it interesting. I mean, I, I agree on that front. You can just kind of treat it as a little Rorschach test for what you want to be true. But I don't know. That doesn't seem like your style, Eric. Not my style, dude. Well, should we should we transition over to do anything anybody want to say about Donnie Darko before we give our ratings? No. All right. Well, Ben, as, as the guest, what would you? How did you rate this movie out of five stars? You can do half stars. Where'd you land? You know, on my, on my letterboxed rating, I had to go back and look. I did have it as as a five star. I think I'm gonna have to downgrade that to a four and a half, just because I know there's better films out there, right? But I I do I do love this movie, and I I love I I love the experience of watching it again. And watching it again with a lot of time remove and a lot of maturity added, and I still really liked it. So I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with like a four and a half on this one. So not perfect, but close, close. It's to not perfect. a it's not a perfect film, and I think I think my opinion on this is that it's this purely accidental genius, like inexperienced filmmaker had a vision, 
kind of did what he thought he needed to do and he just had this perfect amount of like holes and stuff that's left open for interpretation but still a good idea that you can kind of glom onto it and fill in the blanks and make it your own and it's almost a kind of like a choose your own adventure film or something without it being a choose your own adventure film and then afterwards he tried to get too heavy handed with his direction and people are like yeah but this is stupid like I don't like this because we explained it all so that, that's 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 where I sit on it. I am slightly cooler on the movie than you've been had, but not much. I was kind of three and a half to four range, and our discussions kind of pushed me up to that four. I, there are choices in it that are kind of baffling, and I think sometimes it's all over the place in a way that isn't. It, it kind of works, but it also sometimes doesn't. It sometimes pulls me out a little bit. I'm like, what's going on? Like uh, when that woman talks about having Donnie told her to shove something up her anus. Like this is just so bizarrely goofy. I, I where am I at? Um, but I, I liked it a lot better than I thought it was. I thought it was not a movie that's going to hold up. And I was like, Oh gosh, and this is, this is the acme of deep cinema when I was, you know, 21. Um, it's a lot better than I recall. Um, it was not boring. And there's, there is a lot to chew on legitimate stuff to chew on, which I enjoy. Yeah. I mean, keep it ambiguous. One of Ridley Scott's dumbest things. They just couldn't let Blade Runner be ambiguous. And he just wanted to keep tinkering with it. Um, Cause he didn't like the people were interpreting it differently than him. So yeah, just, just let it sit. Yeah. But I th- that place did being just kind of an accident. I think maybe just made mistakes, but it worked, but really, really good watch. So on the wet blanket here, uh, I gave it I gave it two and a half stars. That's um, no shock. <laughs> you know I think like like you said I mean a lot of the things you pointed out are reasons why I would drop it. Um, it's it has some good things going. The music's really good. Um, the it's it's well made. It's an incredibly well made movie. I just think it's like pick a lane. It, it, is this is this a time travel movie? But if it is, we don't see any time travel until like the very last second of the movie and then you're left confused like wait was that time travel and they're like oh is this a horror movie because you have the like scary costume and it's on halloween but there's really no other horror elements other than that and then like is it a high school comedy because there's a bunch of high school comedy shit in there you got like the mean principal and you got you know Squeezy being a, a diddler and you got like funny kind of <laughs> stuff in, in it but like it never it never ends up being a comedy. I mean, you have Seth Rogen in there. He doesn't have one joke. Like, no, he's playing it serious. Seth Rogen's right. like the least funny character in it. So, I mean, I just I was not only confused by what was happening because what was happening made no sense to me, but also just like what what kind of movie is this? I was just like, wait, pick a lane. Where am I going with this? But I mean, I it, it's it's interesting because it is one of those movies like for our generation. It was that intro to like cinema, you know, like actual thought thought provoking movies. That it had such a profound impact on that. I I guess maybe I should put a higher for that reason, but um, yeah, that's why I gave it two and a half. Oh yeah, I mean, not, if anybody's looking to impress Eric, any directors out there, which I'm sure there are many that are hanging on every word, don't do ambiguous movies, Eric. Just explain, keep explaining, explain no, it all. I, ambiguous is fine, but let me know where you're going so I can make that decision. Okay. But here we have a, a sci-fi movie with a hyper-specific timeline. We've got the right date it occurs on. <laughs> We've got the amount of time that the, the oh, movie is yeah. going to elapse. Like when the decision has to happen, 
it seems very very bounded, Eric. What do you, how do you how do you wrap wrap that concept? Well, I guess the the date is the thing I normally don't like is when you set a specific date that this sci-fi movie has to occur. That always bugs me because it's like you don't know. I mean, well, there's no reason for it. And again, this is another one of those movies. There's no reason for it to be in the 80s, except you like 80s shit and you want to play 80s music. That's the only or reason. Or you lived in the 80s and you went to school and you're like, oh, I think I can recreate this experience accurately with the music. But it's like, is it a period piece movie? Like, again, like, is you, this... Are you doing a specific reason that it's during that time? I suppose then you can do the Bush Dukakis stuff and you can talk about politics or life at that time. But it just it it I, I guess it's sort of like American Graffiti was another example of for him, you know, they're, he's making a movie about 20 years before when it came out just to. And that's a good point. It was terrible. So stupid. No, like, I, I love about, American Graffiti. Don't make a movie about But that's about the point of the or... movie. The point of American Graffiti is to like talk about that kind no, of life. No, make a movie about... This is about a sci-fi this, movie about time that, travel. 1975. That's what year it was. Don't look back 20 years ago. The car's in the 50s. Don't do it. Nope. Not allowed. All right. So, next piece. The fi- Everybody's been waiting for this. The Five Degrees of Field of Dreams. Where we're connecting Donnie Darko to the greatest greatest movie ever made, really, Field of Dreams. Um, ben Head, would you like to go first? You know how to play the game. You understand the rules. Ooh. I understand the rules, and I can't tell you how much fun I had in this process. So, all you listeners out there, just do it. Like, do your own path. This is fun. This was it was challenging. It's hard, but it's it's really fun. Yeah, and it, it gives you a little bit of more appreciation, I think, for movies. But here we go. I'm ready. And feel free so, to like chat about a movie if you want to, like you know, go on a ten minute about time travel or something. Go ahead. Well, it, we'll just get it. We'll just take this thing in a loop. We'll yeah. just go back and come back, and we'll just get it right. Uh, so no, we have we have Donnie Darko, the 2001 movie that we just discussed, starring as is as it been mentioned. Seth Rogen. So he makes his... This is actually his film debut. So he did Freaks and Geeks. He hops over into Donnie Darko. And he he, he plays Ricky Danforth, the bully. One of the bullies. Um, he only has a couple of lines. And, and Ben mentioned it. The first line he has is, I like your boobs. Great. You know, just classic. I mean, Oscar-worthy performance. But he's also cast alongside his bully counterpart, which I don't know if you guys know this, but it's Alex Greenwald who is in Phantom Planet. So he's uh, one of the band members of Phantom Planet. He's the he's the other bully. Um, so I thought that that was interesting. So, Seth Rogen. Yeah, that, that California song, California, that's him, right? Yeah. Ben, no, Ben's the singer. Let's, let's, yeah, go, let's, let's hear go it. You, I don't know the song. Boss. No, you guys should keep going. I honestly don't California. know. <laughs> he's on the OC. Uh, so <laughs> oh, I never watched the OC. I don't know if that was a Minnesota thing. I didn't ever watch the OC. Well, we have Seth Rogen in any event, and a band member from Phantom Planet, uh, a song which Ben is not familiar with. Um, but Seth Rogen was in The Green Hornet, a 2011. Ooh, that's a doozy of a movie. That is a, a doozy <laughs> of a movie. 2011 movie uh, where he appears with Chris, Chris, Christoph Waltz, who plays Chudnovsky. 
and it, it, I think this this film is interesting because Green Hornet actually exists outside of this like DC Marvel rivalry, and it actually started as a radio serial, which um, you know many consider the birth of the podcast. Uh, you could say. So we have Christoph Waltz in 2011's Green Hornet, who also appeared in the 2019 movie with Mahershala Ali in arguably the best android-forward teen romance film of all time, Alita, Battle Angel. Fuck. <laughs> Get out of here. Get the fuck out of here with Alita Battle Angel. <laughs> that is the so The best Android forward teen so, romance film of side, all time. Side story. Ben had recommended I check out this movie, Alita Battle Angel. I paid $19.99 to watch this movie. It wasn't it 20 is, bucks. It, it totally is, worth it. Uh, it is not good. I did not enjoy it, but it's kind the of a running best. joke. Android forward teen romance film of all time, starring Academy Award winner Mahershala Ali, who is also in 2016's Hidden Figures, a film that I really enjoyed, which also features Kevin Costner, the star of the greatest Iowa based sports film of all time, Field of Dreams. You did it. Ding, 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 ding. Nice work. And you wrapped in a little battle, Angel. <laughs> Masterful job. All-time performance by Ben Head. Uh, all right, you, should I go next? Should I follow sure. that up? All right, I'll go follow that it. up. I don't think I can, but um, incredible stuff. All right, so Dottie Darko is where we start. Uh, Drew Barrymore is in this movie, and she is incredible in this movie, by the way. just want to mention that again. How incredible. It's so incredible. Very incredible. Uh, she's in a movie called Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. It's a uh, uh, directed by George Clooney, and he's he's in that movie. But uh, also in the movie with a sort of a cameo is a guy by the name of Matt Damon. And Matt Damon is in Saving Private Ryan. He's Private Ryan, the titular character, right? That's how we do that. Eponymous, sure, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, also in that movie is Tom Hanks. Might have heard of him. He's an actor. First guy to get COVID, right? He's the one that started this whole thing. Thanks to Tom Hanks. Uh, Tom Hanks is in a movie called Sleepless in Seattle, rom-com. Don't think I've ever seen it. But... Uh, great movie. He, is it a great movie? Okay. <laughs> I, I, I don't much enjoy it, but... For all our rom-com heads out there. comedies. Yeah. Uh, also in that movie is a woman by the name of Gabby Hoffman. Now she's 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 in Field of Dreams, so just to, that's how I got there. She plays their daughter, but yep. she's also right now in a show called Winning Time. It's on HBO. It's unbelievable, so good. It's about the Lakers, the rise of the Lakers dynasty. Uh, amazing show, and she's really great in that too. But so that's how I got there. Okay. All right. Well. I'll send this home. The star of Donnie Darko, a guy, you know, an unlikable fellow called Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh, he he played a villain. Yeah. <laughs> he played a guy who maybe he's going to be a hero. Maybe he's not. Who knows? Uh, Mysterio in Spider-Man Far From Home. Uh, also in Spider-Man Far, Far From Home is a fellow named Samuel L. Jackson. 
playing Nick Fury, who's in the second best Die Hard movie of all time, Die Hard with a Vengeance. And then shouts to Bruce Willis, guy that's not going to be in any movies anymore. I know it's a it's a bummer. Um, Even Jim Carrey. Well, so, Jim Carrey for other reasons, but yeah, Jim Carrey's is in depression is isn't as depressing. He just doesn't want to do movies anymore. But Bruce Willis has got his aphasia and can't. And I, he's he's in he's been in all these horrible Redbox movies as well. Um, what are we gonna like, do about Sonic Three though? I I don't I don't know. CGI Jim Carrey I don't know. Well, I, Jim Carrey I think is because he doesn't want to get vaccinated, but that's all you know. Whole other oh. discussion. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, but yeah, Die Hard with Vengeance. There's a, a guy who's a cop in Die Hard with Vengeance named Graham Green. Graham Green is a Native American performer, uh, and he is in Dances with Wolves, starring uh, Kevin Costner, and also Mary McDonald, who's the mom of Donnie Darko. In, uh, She's in Sneakers, too, and you, you've used Sneakers quite a few times. Oh, I Sneakers is great. It's a, yeah. it's a nice entry point, but went with uh, Dances with Wolves and Graham Green this time. So then that obviously takes us to feel the dreams. So we did it. All right. Awesome. Well, um, so normally this is where I would just tell you what movie we're watching next week, but we're going to make this a little more fun. We're going to do a little movie trivia and you both can play. So I'm going to give five clues. The clues are to the, the movie that I picked. Uh, each clue will be kind of a little more, a little easier, a little, little uh, closer to, to the actual film. Uh, you get one guess, so if you guess, you're out. Um, so use use your time wisely. If you think you know it, jump in. If you don't, just wait it out, and okay. uh, and we'll get to it. So, all right, I'll, I'll start up the music. I don't have it here, but we'll start up the music. And we'll start with clue number one. Uh, the uh, author, Larry McMurtry, was originally hired to write the screenplay. For this movie, Larry's one of my close personal friends, but I, I I can't pick from all of the the films that he's been interpreting. Oh, he's a great author. You you don't know Larry wrote uh, Last Picture Show, Lonesome Dove. One of my favorite authors. I uh, one of my one of my best friends. He's a good buddy of yours. Okay, um, so you don't know that. All right, the movie was released in 1998. I think I, I think I know where this is going, but I'm I'm holding my my rounds in the chamber. You only got one. Yeah, you only got one guess. Alright, uh, the soundtrack features the song Get Together by the Young Bloods and it's uh, prominently played in the movie. You know the song. Yeah, Ben, can you sing it for get us? Get together, everybody get together, want to love one another right now. That's all. No? That's beautiful. Mm. All right. There's a line in the movie. It goes like this. We can't stop here. This is Bat Country. No? Don't. Ah, I thought that would give it away for sure. You don't have it. You got yeah, it? Fear and loathing in Las Vegas. Is that what you were going to guess, Ben Lewis? No. Is that what correct? were you going to guess? I, the nears didn't match up. Uh, you said, we can't stop here. This is Bat Country? Yes. Um, 
I was like stuck on like Dusk Till Dawn or something, but the years didn't make sense. But that, that was the closest I was going to get. Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas is correct. That's the movie we're doing next week. The last clue was stars Johnny Depp as gonzo journalist Hunter S. Thompson. Yeah, okay. So okay. another another thing I'm announcing here on the Pod Dreams, I will be doing that episode completely drunk. In honor of Hunter S. Thompson, I'm going to start a little intoxicated, and I'm going to drink throughout the entire episode. Ben, Lewis, if you want to join in, you can. I'm not pressuring you or anywhere possible. Uh, but we're going to see how that goes. So tune into that. It's going to be a very special episode. I'm going to be really plastered. And uh, we'll see how that goes. But I would like to thank Ben Head for joining. One more shout out to the Real Wolf Record Club. RealWolfRecordClub.com is a website that all your stuff's on there. I see that you got you're doing Hunky Dory, or it just came out, right? Yeah, we just re- just uh, released um, Hunky Dory episode with our, our guest Peter Jesperson, who is a Minneapolis legend. He's the guy that discovered The Replacements. It's a, a punk band from the Minneapolis area that's uh, better than Nirvana? No. Maybe? But, uh, maybe not? I got their book. <laughs> <laughs> Trouble Boys, I got their uh, biography. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, no, it's, it's, it's great. We've got some great guests coming up um, as well and uh, some things that are in the hopper. Some uh, some pretty funny episodes coming up, Some good, some good entertainment and some really interesting guests. So check it out. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining, man. Any last words on Donnie Darko? Watch it again, man. It's on uh, HBO Max, right? Is that where, where you saw it's on, it? It's on HBO Max. Yeah, I, yeah. I own it. Oh, um, you got to I, I did look. That was one of my criteria for picking a film is I wanted to have something that was accessible so people could watch it. Uh, but, it, yeah, it is on HBO Max. So check it out. Why do you have to get so fucking smart on us? Sometimes I question your commitment to Sparkle Motion, Ben. <laughs> I'm committed as ever, guys. All right. Well, thanks a lot. Tune in next week. I'll be getting drunk. And uh, take it easy. 